This episode is brought to you by Adobe. Creative Cloud for Teams. Everything your team needs to work better together. Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. My guest today is Paula Scher, partner of design firm Pentagram New York. Her design career spans over 30 years, and yet she moved to New York City without a penny to her name. She has been an inspiration towards generation of designers and created an incredible body of work for brands such as Microsoft and Citibank. She was featured in the Netflix documentary series Abstract, The Art of Design by Scott Dadich. Paula is a dear friend of mine, and when I was a junior designer at Pentagram London, I was in awe of her work. She's incredibly driven and hasn't slowed down at all. Paula has a process around design where she reinvents herself every five years, which I can't wait to share with you. Welcome, Paula. Great to have you here in Sydney. Thank you. It's really cool to kind of have you have you in my hometown now, although London was my hometown before. And for a lot of listeners, they maybe not know that I was um, also at Pentagram back in uh, the late 80s, a junior designer. And just before, I think you came in, a couple of years after that, I think. I joined in 1991. That's when I met 1991. you. And absolutely in awe of you then uh, and your work and still are today. And it's just incredible to, to watch from afar because we meet every so often, like maybe five years, maybe more. Uh, this time you don't recognize me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'm not aging that well. Um, but I think it's really cool to, you know, with, with social media and, you know, you see what you're doing around the world, what you're doing, moving offices and all that kind of stuff. It looks like you're just as prolific as ever. I would say that's probably true. I don't think that – I mean, I have high and low periods that have to do with the sort of work I get or sometimes uh, I'll get three terrible jobs in a row and then I'll get three good jobs in a row and they even they equal each other out. But but mostly I, I, I'm equally busy, I would say. Oh, that's interesting. What's, what's a terrible job and what's a good job? A terrible job is usually a project that – because of the politics of the situation, has really no possibility of making any kind of breakthrough or learning anything from it. And do you know that at the beginning when you first meet the client, or do you, do you kind of ex- experience that going th- as you go through the project? Um, I think I used to think I knew it at the beginning, but I've had so many terrible projects where <laughs> I guessed wrong. So I guess I don't. <laughs> um, sometimes I learn it, you know, halfway through it. Sometimes I take jobs that I thought would be terrible and they would turn out to be terrific. Like mm. I had a real estate client who I, I did a lot of environmental graphics for and he wanted me to design a parking garage, which seems like a horrible job and it turned out to be a breakthrough. Wow. And, and, and what's the percentage of good jobs versus bad jobs for you? Is a higher percentage of good ones? I think most jobs are okay. Um, some jobs are great, some jobs are good, some jobs are fair, and some jobs are horrible. <laughs> it sort of runs the gamut of five, I'd say. So you're still optimistic? I still like to work. I mean, I think that uh, there are things where I feel like I'm exercising. Uh, in other words, it's something I've done a lot of times and I know how to do it, so the question is how – efficient and flexible and quick am I with it? And I like that. 
Um, sometimes there are things I've never done, and those are usually terrific because I make all kinds of stupid mistakes where I learn stuff, and mm-hmm. I like that. You like learning from the mistakes? Well, I think that it's hard to do the same thing over and over again, um, and it's also demoralizing. So in order not to do the same thing over and over again, you have to try something new. Uh, to try something new, you have to be a neophyte, and that that's what's exciting. Mm. I know when I interviewed you for the book, you said that you like to reinvent yourself every five years. This was four years ago. Um, are you reinventing yourself, about to reinvent yourself again? I think so. Um, I'm finding uh, that I'm liking different forms of collaboration more than I used to mm. and that I have interest in 3D in a way I didn't before, uh, not just buildings but perhaps packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have uh, some projects that I think may afford me some interesting opportunities. Cool. And you're still painting on the weekends? and Yeah, I still I still make my paintings. And that my paintings evolve much slower than my design work because they take much longer. Uh, but I generally do a specific – they're all maps. I don't change. I'm not going to suddenly paint, you know, still lives or people in chairs or anything like that. <laughs> I, I paint information and um, that is my uh, subject matter and the way I create and structure the paintings. But what I change within the paintings is uh, scale, uh, relationships of things, the kind of information that's depicted. And um, I move usually from exhibit to exhibit. So if I had I had a show two years ago and the paintings were all statistics about the United States in front of the, our, our disastrous election, and I should have listened to those statistics because it would have predicted who would win. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I've been painting uh, weather maps and things that are about activities and they're much bigger and they're much looser and they're, they're, the line work is a lot more active. And uh, that'll probably be the work that's going to be in my next show, which will be in two years. Wow. And is that – I guess it's – is it meditation for you, that doing those paintings? Do you get, um, a, get in a zone that's different to when you're creating a brand or anything? Exactly. I mean the whole the, – the act of designing and, and making things that may be brands or it, they may be information-based uh, are – done very quickly and they're done with my team and I'm not touching anything. My team is doing all the 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 handing handling of things. I'm mostly thinking and sketching and, and resolving and directing. And that on the weekend I'm working with my hands and it's very physical. And uh I either play music or have a television going and I'm listening to some old movie and I'm painting these things and, and it's I would say very meditative in a way, although I'm not a meditative sort of person. Yeah. But I enjoy it, and I I get a lot of satisfaction from doing it, and then I also get satisfaction from doing the design work, and which are opposites, and they balance each other, and, and they make me feel good. So what was the turning point for you from going from, you know, being a, a teacher to finding design? Did it happen like – you wake up one day and say, that's, that's what I want to do? Or how did that transpire? No, I had no intention of teaching. I was just making my mother happy by oh, getting okay. my teaching certification. 
because I would go home and visit her and she'd say, oh, you're going to be poor. <laughs> you better get your teaching certification. you got to have something to fall back on when you fail as a designer. Yeah. It's amazing how it pans out, doesn't it? I mean, I know when my dad, my, my parents moved from uh, England to Canada and I was like six months old. It kept, for my whole time in Canada, they kept saying, you know, we moved here for a better career, better opportunities for you and for your, for your future. I just felt totally, you know, indebted and responsible for going, I, gotta, I have to do the right thing, you know. Still to this day, I'm highly motivated and still determined. I think a lot of it's to do with that. I don't that know. I don't know that we actually heard them. I think that everything they said seemed to have a megaphone to me, and maybe they really didn't. I don't really know. Hmm. You know, because because in in every scenario, you, you everybody remembers the things they said, and they're loud and they're big. They're set mm-hmm. in seventy two point type. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 I have no idea if that's really if that was really the reality, but it's the way I remember it. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because it could have been twenty four point type. Absolutely, medium. You know, he's, you thought you was, yours was super bold or whatever. Yeah, it's gonna. When I talk about to, about stuff with my family, they go, "Ah, oh, no, no, it wasn't like that. You know, it wasn't like that. No, you. you I don't know what, why you think that." And I'm like, "Jesus, I'm losing my mind." It's like, but anyways, I think that um, you know, obviously, you refer to what you do as a job, um, and that's interesting. I think. And do you see it as a job? Do you see it as a? I mean, it is a career, of course. But is it something that you live, you live and breathe twenty four seven, or is it? You know, is there is it like a certain period of the day that you you kind of do your job? Well, I think when I was talking to you just now, and I used the word like "have a job," I meant it as "have a job" because that was the way I thought about it, yeah. and I, I stopped thinking about it as a job. I, mm-hmm. I, and I think I, I said previously that I wanted to make sure if I had a job, I didn't care if it was Monday, Friday, or the weekend, meaning that I wanted the job to be my existence. But you live it and didn't, and, and it didn't you know that that it was never a thing that would make me unhappy or unpleasant but a thing that I really wanted to do mm. as much as I would want to do anything else yeah. and in fact i have to say that that is absolutely the case uh, unless i have jobs you know projects clients mm. that are are horrible sometimes and i want to get out of them but do that's you- not that's not the existence of being a designer that's one part of it it's yeah. a re- very small part, really. And do you see those as as uh, problems or opportunities? Because sometimes people in our studio say, oh, there's, the client has a problem. And I see it as opportunity. I kind of I turn it around. For me, it's more of an, uh, being more opportunistic about the opportunity that's sitting in front of you. Uh, because it might not be a problem. It's just, it is really just a task often, you know. Well, it might be a relevant question. I don't. It really depends upon the situation. I mean, I think that there are there are different things that are uh, difficult um, to overcome. Uh, inherently fearful structures. Uh, if you if you get involved with an organization where people are afraid to make decisions, um, that can be very distressful because you can't accomplish anything. Um, or uh, a, a situation where you may have had a good client but that you uh, did not have access to somebody who was actually the decision maker and find that they come in at the end and change everything, that sort of thing. I mean those things are, are real um, and they make it 
difficult to do good work. Um, they they never change uh, very much, and uh, you find things sort of very similar in structure, and you can tell it when you're coming in, and sometimes you're surprised by it. Mm. Sometimes you don't know. You, you've been desi- how many years have you been designing for? Do you think forty eight? Forty eight says thirty here. Well, I was going to say I'm not that far behind you. <laughs> <laughs> that's an it's, old that's an old piece of paper. Yeah, yeah, it's all digital now. Um, forty eight. Well, so that that's exciting, isn't it? I mean, do you feel like I mean, you must have learned so much over this period of time that surely you could tackle anything, any kind of problem now. Any t- opportunity. I, there's like there's a lot of stuff I haven't learned, and the stuff I haven't learned are really what young people know and the way young people mm. perceive things, yeah. and uh, what sometimes the knowledge I have is irrelevant um, simply because things have changed, or our attitudes uh, about expectations um, are different, and that you can't. I have to relearn it. I have to learn. I have to learn from my team continually. Um, are, we, are we in a better time now than we were, say, ten years, twenty years ago? In some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that what's fantastic about design is that, as a designer, the um, at least from my standpoint, the expectation of what you c- can do and are capable of is extraordinary. I mean. We have the ability to help shape cities. We have the ability to um, uh, change, really change people's perceptions of things. We we have seats at the table that we didn't used to have yeah. in relationship to uh, our cli- clients. I don't think anybody thinks it's a silly profession or artsy, um, no. you know, which used to be a perce- perception when I began. But I and I think that. That part of it is fantastic. Um, so part of the reason I've been able to change so much over the years is because I've had more opportunities to do things I didn't know how to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on the Design Commission in New York City for six years and really got to see government up close and help the city develop projects that I'm really proud I got to work on and uh, help shape New York City and lots of my projects that I did, like the High Line or the New York City Parks Department or the kind of environmental graphics I did everywhere. It's it's really been quite extraordinary to have those those opportunities and, and to be a neophyte doing it. Yeah, and to be known for doing that. I mean, New York's your home, mm-hmm. uh, and you've been there a while. And you, obviously, we talked earlier about how the, the skyscrapers, uh, new skyscrapers have changed the skyline dramatically. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in a good way. No, I, I don't like them. Um, I think that I think they that there should be a law where you're not allowed to block the Chrysler Building or the Empire State Building. Everything else can get covered. <laughs> you need to enforce that law. I talked earlier today about, to Scott Dadich about his uh, Netflix uh, series Abstract, and it was incredible that series, and it was so cool to see you uh, in your day job. Uh, around New York and, and talking about your life. I mean, that, was that an exciting project for you to be involved in? I didn't know what to, I, I didn't know what to expect from it. Um, and I had, I think, to be honest with you, I think I had the best director. Um, it was a guy named Richard Press. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, I think he really caught me. But the reality was that he did most everything in post-production. He interviewed me for four days, and he did 
a long interview with me and uh, on one day and then, a, then an interview in the space. But mostly he made me walk up and down the steps of Pentagram and walk in traffic and sit in <laughs> taxi cabs and I wanted to kill him. You know, and I just – I thought, what are you doing? This isn't about me. I don't want to – I felt like I was Mary Tyler Moore and he was like wanted me to fling my hat in the air and the, it was horrible. And then I saw it and I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, it was really good. And uh, did, did you, it obviously went all around the world. Is that – Opened up opportunities for you elsewhere? Yeah, I guess so. People call. Mm. I mean, it, it, you know, and, and also a lot of silly stuff. You know, some of it's time waste, and some of it, there have been real projects from it. Uh, I can't pretend like there haven't been. Um, I think it uh, made people aware of about how a designer thinks and behaves. And I think he really, I think he really caught that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, because for a long time, people just think it's like makeover shows is kind of the, the only design program that kind of gets the the viewing, you know. The thing, the thing was interesting was the um, the diagram of the meeting, which he I didn't know what he was doing. He um, the diagram of the meeting, which is the thing over the public theater at the end, which I think is the, maybe the most retweeted thing from that particular movie, um, was in my book "Make It Bigger," and um, I described it as exactly the same way it is in the mo- in the movie and he had uh the the director had read make it bigger and he asked he asked me to explain this diagram and he wanted to film me over a a piece of glass and drawing the diagram and explaining uh what I was doing and I had to do it like five times because it's really hard to draw and talk at the same time so I was drawing this thing and explaining about, you know, the client expectation going up and then making a line when you've hit the highest point. And then I would either say something wrong or I would have to repeat myself or the the crayon would slip. And it was really very frustrating. And then we finally did it and we had a big fight about it because I, I said, why can't you ju- – why can't I just draw it on – you can tape my voice and let me draw it on not the glass. I wanted to draw it on a piece of paper. He says, no, I want to get you through it. And I thought, you don't have to get me through it. And it was it was really just – stupid. So the episode was set up that the big idea was that I was going to start with a project and be able to show the project completed. So you sort of had some sense of how to do it. And the easiest thing to do was a public theater poster for the season because I he was filming me in, in January, which is when I always designed those things. And it was going to come out in May. So you could actually know that the thing was going to start and finish because it has to be in the subways and at the end of May. So he also wanted to film me presenting the thing at the public theater, which I did. Now, the public theater, as you know, I've been designing since 1994. Mm. It's a wonderful relationship. I don't have problems selling anything there. And I was shocked when I saw him take the template of the diagram of the meeting and put it over this very benign, rather sweet meeting we were having there. But in fact, the dialogue totally lined up with the with the um, diagram, with the graph, the little hills going up and down. And I wasn't even aware of it when it took place because it happens so often in our dialogue because that is, in fact, the way design exists is that you show somebody 
and you're enthusiastic and they're enthusiastic and then after you're dumb, they sort of bring it down a little bit yeah, yeah. because because they're seeing things that they, they, they have some problems with mm. and they're probably right to. But it always comes down a little bit and then it goes back up and then you stop the meeting and it doesn't matter who it is. So I found that really funny when I saw it because I had no idea he was going to slip that diagram that I hated making over this particular action and the idea that it totally lined up was just astounding. So in that situation, they normally just get what they get when you do those presentations? I mean, do you, do you compromise a little bit or? Well, yeah. So he want, uh, Patrick wanted me to make the type bigger. Mm-hmm. And he said, and then somebody said, I don't know if I like the red or the green. What do you think? Should it be the green? Which one do you like? I like the red. And the other guy said, well, I don't know about the red. You know, I mean, it's sort of like there was, there was a little bit of – but but it was the most benign – you know, I love these guys. And it's very it's very easy. And that's why it was easy easy to set it up for them to film. And, and um, uh, the woman who worked with me on it was there. And it was, it was a, a typically ordinary meeting. And I didn't even see – realize that we were making compromises as we were doing it because, because this stuff is collaborative. And you always make compromises. So I guess Paula – you don't believe it's possible to design your life. You believe, surely you believe it's it's okay. It's it's you would encourage people to improve on their lives. Quality of life. I think it's absolutely fine to do whatever makes you happy. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I I think the idea that that you you design is if you look up design in the dictionary, one A is a plan, and you can plan. You can plan things, you know, you can plan to have a family, you can plan to send your kids to college, you can plan to go to night school to improve yourself, you can plan all these things, but you can't plan the outcome. You cannot, you cannot plan the outcome. You cannot, you cannot help those things that are inexplicable. Yeah, but like design, you can play around with things and try different things to, to, to see what outcome you're going to get. You can see, you can, you can improve on things and tweak and evolve. I mean, it's, there's a lot of things you can do that we know, like you said before, like running or eating the right food, yeah, et cetera. But none of that's that makes really important. Sorry? None of that's really important in the general scheme of things. Wow. I mean, it really isn't. I mean, I don't think that people who, who run are necessarily happier or have more fulfilled lives than people who don't run. I think that's silly. I mean, I think that that these are all – they're all things that I know if I feel lousy, I just run right out and buy myself a pair of shoes. I always feel really good for about another <laughs> 20 minutes. I mean, that's sort of the I – mean, yeah. but in the realm of it, in the realm of things, that's, that's very small. I think you have designed your life. I mean, when you talk about uh, what your parents said earlier on and, and, you know, the pressure they put on you about being a teacher, et cetera – you chose to not go that route, and you chose the route that you wanted to go. You chose the organization you wanted to work in. But I you didn't know I was day. doing it. Sorry? I didn't know I was doing well, it. Well, it was an arranged marriage? What do you mean? Was your marriage arranged? Was it, did you have any say in it? What, when I got married? Yeah. I was so young. What did I know? <laughs> well, you're in love, right? <laughs> well, like I said, you don't have you any control. You don't have any control over that. There's no – you don't – you don't control who you meet and who you fall in love with. You can't plan it and you can't design it. But I think that there are things I think there are there are uh there are things that we do that make our lives better. And that if you fall into alcoholism, it's great to quit drinking. If you got fat, it's great to go on a diet. 
if you're unhappy and don't know why, it's probably good to go to therapy. You know that these are, but but this is this is not design. This is remedial activity, um, and that I think that we we shouldn't design everything. That that you you take away the charm of discovery. I mean, you know, I, I, I worry about people who are looking to fall in love online because it seems so calculated. I'm less cynical about that. What I think in terms of being agile or, you know, doing tackling life as if it was a, a design problem is that it helps you understand, you know, in terms of like putting a, a, a deadline on it or kind of shifting from being a victim or, or being in a situation where life just happens to you uh, without any control. I believe that a lot of people go through life and it just kind of happens to them. And, you know, sure, a huge part of my life is kind of things are just going to happen for whatever reason. But I just know when I when I put focus and I think about what I truly want and I, and I apply that, it does shift things hugely. And I can see the progress of that. You're lucky you're on a career. Maybe it's not Is it luck or are you uh, – or are you – the fact that you've chosen something that you just absolutely love and you just live and breathe it every day. You go around the world talking about it. Uh, people invite you to conferences, et cetera. I mean, it's it's like it's – have you stumbled across it? Is it luck? Did you, um, did you plan it? I think it's I think it's conditional. This is – and I, I'll tell you what I think. I, some of it is probably in in my genetics somewhere. Some of it is the result of the kind of parenting I had. Uh, some of it was a, a re rejection of an experience I had when I was in high school when I had to work in a shoe store and I thought I never want to go to work at a job I don't like. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, I don't control all of that. All that happened to me that made me who I am. And that's what I was saying before, that you can't, you can't design that. I can't mm. pick my parents. But some people have, have experiences earlier in their lives that actually they never find a career that they absolutely love. They never find the person that's their perfect partner. They, they never find, you know, the situation that, you know, from the outside it looks like you're in, in a very, uh, I say designed, but you've kind of, it, it's, it hasn't happened by chance. It's, you've reacted to circumstances to improve. Um, I, I found out when I was, when I was in high school, I was what was known as being good at art. I was mm -hmm. good at art and I took art classes and I wanted to be an artist. I knew what I wanted to be. And there are people I know who never knew what they wanted to be. That's mm -hmm. luck. That isn't design. I didn't make myself want to be good at art. I just, I just was. You, That's you why I in on it. Well, I, I, I was comfortable with it. Um, I used to draw in my room. Mm -hmm. um, almost everybody I've met who's a designer was drawing comics or doing something when yeah. they were a kid. Why didn't everybody do that? Who controls that? I mean, education tends to kind of um, train it out of us too, creativity, doesn't it? There's a lot, a lot of creative people out there who just don't get that exposure to, uh, you know, opportunities like we have. Well, I think it's been it's been fantastic talking with you, Paula, and I really want to thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to know more about how others have designed their lives, check out our website, designyourlife.com.au, or on our social media, at Frost Collective. <laughs>